All right, sports are back. I'm not going to lie. I have been um, watching and betting on every NBA game that's out there. And one of the best ways to do it is just to do some props. And so you want to go to monkeyknifefight.com because they have like endless amounts of ways to do that. I'll give you an example. The one I'm looking at right now is Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. I just have to guess over or under their point total and get both right. And I get like three times whatever I put in. It's very simple. Sounds like a prop parlay. Seems fun. Basically. So Don Mitchell's 30 and a half. Um, Jamal Murray is 26 and a half. And they both scored 50 in the last game. So I will be uh, I'll be taking more on both of those. Um, you can do the same. Go to monkeyknifefight.com. And the best part is if you are a first-time depositor at Monkey Knife Fight, and you put at least $20 in your account while using the promo code PFF, you'll get a free PFF Edge subscription, which means all of fantasy content and cheat sheets and guides and rankings that you could possibly need, and you get them for the entire year. So it's $40 value. All you have to do is deposit 20 bucks, and it gives you some free fun as the uh, NBA season is coming to a close and, of course, the NFL season is about to get started. Uh, so that's again, monkeyknifefight.com. You want to use promo code PFF. You get a free edge subscription. Uh, it's awesome. Go do it. It is August 25th, 26th, somewhere around there. It's the PFF forecast. We have got a great conversation coming up. It's going to be Ian Harditz, Eric Eager, as usual, and then Evan Silva, remote from Chicago. Let's rock. Um, that interview is long and good, so I don't think there's really any need. It's also my, my nickname's long and good. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even know. I, fuck. We'll get to the interview. The interview is really fun. Um, <laughs> we talk about a bunch of stuff. We talk about, obviously, some fantasy football stuff, but I thought the conversation overall just about football and teams that we think uh, a little more highly of than the, than the market is, is really solid. Plus Leonard Fournette and Josh Allen. It's good stuff. All right, here we go. We'll get to the interview now. All right, we've been trying to do this for a while. Evan has been on this podcast spitting uh, hot fire a couple of times. Evan Silva from EstablishTheRun.com, in case you didn't know. And Ian Harditz, who we dragged live to Cincinnati. Um, now a resident of Columbus. It's good to be here in Cincy, Vegas. Happy to be back in the homeland, Ohio. What's up, dudes? Now, we did not make you eat Skyland Chili last night, but tonight there st- is still open. So the potential for you to in- <laughs> to get involved in Cincy's Finest is still there. Evan, I've never heard your take on Skyline Chili. That's because I don't think I've ever had it. Oh, damn. I've, I've never been to Cincinnati before. I've really? never spent an extended period of time in the state of Ohio at all. Huh. We got to. I think we got to make this happen. I mean, why are we giving them that trash food in a state that might as well be in Kentucky, in a city that might <laughs> as well be in Kentucky as it is? I think, I think, Eric, that based on the one time we did eat with Evan, that he would have fit in really well at our dinner last night. I think so. I mean, <laughs> there was a combination of loud. There was a combination of gregarious it was a fun time and i think evan would have had a good time yeah you didn't mention the the wine or the steak no yeah that works too (laughs) yes that works too the only thing missing was sean payton true that's true (laughs) all right let's start with this um eric you decided to publish a my guys article and i want to just get this out of the way because we're here with two people that actually know what they're doing do this for a living um and you do not kind of sort of Please, God, tell me that Leonard Fournette is on this fucking list. It is. Yep. <laughs> Let's just start there. Please, Eric, explain. I like Leonard Fournette over Gordon and Gurley this some, year. Some reasoning? My reasoning... I mean, that's not particularly bold, but okay. Well, the, the ADP was higher for or lower or whatever. For, yeah. I mean, it made sense from an ADP perspective to say that you know, he was underrated relative to those two. 
Okay, but can you like all, all I've heard from Ian in particular? Yeah. It gift form, written form, all forms, honestly, art forms. <laughs> that is that Leonard Fournette is garbage. Yeah, I don't. I'm not disputing the fact that he's garbage. Here's my take on him, though. the The Jacksonville Jaguars are actually going to try in the first few games this year. They they look like a tank candidate for sure. But if you look at their early season schedule, it isn't the most difficult thing in the world. One, they're, they have a head coach who, yes, is probably going to get fired at some point, but he's going to be coaching for his life early on. And Fournette is the, gets volume in that offense. And a season ago, he had three touchdowns, which obviously was not like corresponding to the sort of production he had. As inefficient as it was, there was a ton of volume there. There was a lot of yards. He had over 70 catches. And he has, I think, a better chance to be the bell cow back in that, that offense than Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley do in their respective offenses, let's say, into week six. Man, that's the guy you want to target. Ian, Ian, that's the Ian, guy you want to leave fancy. Destroy basketball? him. Destroy okay. him, Ian. I know 2020 has been a long time, everyone. But let's go through what's happened to Leonard Fournette over these past eight or so months. The Jaguars first tried to trade him, could not find a suitor. Evan, I think you said you know, maybe like a conditional sixth or seventh round pick might have gotten the job done. And no, he's still a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He, they, they declined his fifth-year option. They signed. He's going to be uh, hungry. They brought more, on more hungry than normal. Brought on Jay Gruden to call plays, new offensive coordinator. Oh, and they also just happened to bring on Chris Thompson, who go, oh, they go, oh, he'll get hurt. He plays ten games, ten plus games. Here, Who's the offensive coordinator? He'll though? get hurt, Mr. Jay Gruden. Now, now, did Jay Gruden not give a ton of carries to the corpse that is Adrian Peterson the last two years? Let's look at the running backs that have more targets than Chris Thompson before Jay Gruden got fired last year, and those were Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler. That's literally it. So we can take Fournette's triple-digit target projection, throw that out the window, and yeah, okay, are, are they going to tank or not? No players tank. It's too physical of a game to tank, obviously, but this team has the single lowest win total in football with a front office that just cannot help but piss off all their good players. I just don't know. Like, you want to spend a third-round pick in fantasy on this guy with this many red flags? I don't want Gordon. I don't want Gurley either. I want to get dope running backs in the first two rounds and then not take Leonard Fournette over Adam Thielen or Allen Robinson or one of these guys. It's one of those things where I don't necessarily disagree with you for putting Fournette ahead of Gurley, ahead of Gordon, but what are we doing taking him it, that It's high more anyway? of a fa- – like, if you read – most of what I wrote here – was that I don't think Gordon or Gurley like if you're playing the zero running back strategy, and you end what's up that, here. By the way, what's that? What's that? It's a variance enhancing, you know, approach to Is fantasy it, football. It sounds like Advocare or steroids or something like that. It's an, it's the Amway of college of, of uh, fantasy football, <laughs> um, but. To me, I think you'd rather have – because, like, Gurley's going to be – I mean, we're going to hear the words bone on bone with Todd Gurley by week three. We already – I mean, they're already trying to, like, pump him up and say he's going to get 50. If they give him 20 carries week one, and they are the Falcons, so they will do this, he is going to be out by, like, the week four, fourth week, right? Like, he just can't – you know, I don't think he can withstand this thing. And – like, Melvin Gordon is not as good as Philip Lindsay. Like, it's just not the case. And that Denver team is probably going to be in contention, and they're going to run with the hot hand, which is going to be Philip Lindsay, who's better than Melvin Gordon. Stop. Okay, let me ask He's you this. The Broncos are probably going to be in contention for what? A wild – dude, the Broncos – look, next year, Evan, you are going to be having the same conversation about Josh Allen, that, that, about Drew Locke. The Broncos are going to be a 9-7, and 10-6 and six team, and we're all going to be like, oh, what they're the losing, hell is going on here? It. And it's going to be despite <laughs> their bad, inaccurate quarterback. And next season, he's going to be open at plus – he's going to open at 100-1 to one to be the MVP. And, and we're all, all right. going to be like, look, if, if Denver gets – you know, competes with Kansas City and somehow squeaks out the AFC West, Drew Locke is an MVP Denver candidate. That's all Kansas going to be next City? year. <laughs> Oh, you, Eric, you're losing it, bro. And, can can we know, bring it back to Leonard Fournette? Because, yeah, Evan, I need we're your bringing take. it back. So this is what the Jaguars are doing. They're doing almost the same thing that the Dolphins did last year. And if you remember what the Dolphins did, is Suck. they – Yes. But also they essentially held like a tryout year. They rostered more players in the NFL by far on their 53 over the course of the season than any other team. They – um, spread out the, the distribution of their you know, running back touches. They had Kenyon Drake, 
and they made sure that he didn't get hurt before the trade deadline. So they were able to get something back for him. This is what the Jaguars are going to do. They're going to give touches to Reichwell Armstead. They're going to give touches to Divine Ozigbo. They're going to give passing down touches to Chris Thompson. They're going to play from behind constantly. And anyone that has played DFS understands the value of game scripts. And uh, the Jaguars are, are going to be dogs in, in virtually every game that they play this season. I, I, I can't even remember the last time that I saw a team with a four-and-a-half game win total. Usually it's like like the, the, the worst win total in the NFL in terms of sports book uh, projections is like five, five-and-a-half. Last year the Dolphins were at five. I can't even tell you the last time I saw a team with a four-and-a-half game win total, and the sharp bet is to the under. It, well, yeah, it's juiced. It's juiced that yeah, way. Yeah, but they were – I mean – the Dolphins were four and a half last year, at least where we got them. And then, but the the issue is, is I agree with you, Evan. There's a lot of similarities between the Dolphins and the Jaguars, 100. percent But there are a ton of differences too. I mean, chief among them, the fact that the Dolphins a season ago, like we're starting over at the co- you know head coach, all the coordinators, they were they were starting over. I mean, there is some similarity. I do think of Fitzpatrick as being an older version of Gardner Minshew, so you do have that, <laughs> but. But you look at their early schedule. Colts, they're at home against the Colts. Like, I, I do think the Colts will be okay, but that's not a, a slam dunk. At Titans, home to the Dolphins, at Bengals, ho- you know, at Houston, and then home to Detroit. And, like, that, that they're not going to be favored in a great deal of those games, but th- it's not like they're plus 14 in all those games. Like, that's kind of I what I would say the, that the schedule is the, the singular data point that is working in favor of Leonard Fournette. That's a singular data point. Unfortunately, there are like 14 data points that we should be looking at when we're talking about a projection for a player like Leonard Fournette, and he's got red marks on the other 13, and he's got the green mark. Okay, so in relation to Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley, like how much how much more red does he have than those two guys? They're not. This, these are the. Yeah. This is the tier that you avoid. As Ian is, is I okay. Just took, so you're saying just. No, this is the tier that you avoid completely. Anyway. The, well, this so, is what, so this is what I wanted to ask, which is, as someone that focus, does not focus enough until my fantasy draft, and I have, am in auction leagues, so whatever, but the same kind of theory applies, which is like, okay, I'm trying to cram and prepare so that I don't totally fuck up and embarrass myself like I did in a best ball league with these guys a, a couple weeks ago. How do I make sure I avoid but that, having to be in a situation where you're yeah. at, which is like Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon, or Todd Gordon? I agree that when I'm doing best ball drafts, I'm generally avoiding – I mean, Fournette falls beneath a lot of these ADPs and that you get him a lot late, like 15, 20 picks later on, I think he's a value. I just think among that group, if you end up having to pick among those, that group – he, I think he's a better option than those two. That's mostly sure. what I'm implying. My point is, picking among that group, you've already lost. Well, so here's is, is okay. that really true? Though, I mean, if you approach the draft in such a way that you get, like, if Fournette, you know, if those three running backs for the same reason fall to an ADP of like 50 or 60, like a, you know, are, are is that a bad option to take Fournette over those two guys? That's fine. We never hate players. We hate ADPs, and I hate Leonard Fournette's current ADP. Yeah. If we drop it by 25, yeah, of course we're talking, but that's not the reality right now. I mean, as I'm looking at your article and these ADPs, all these guys are going pick 36 or sooner, and that is your you know top three rounds in majority of 12-man leagues. You know, I just got done potting with uh, the ringers Danny Kelly, super sharp guy. We're going over our... Ten Commandments for upcoming 2020 fantasy drafts. And Danny's first one I thought was brilliant. You go safe picks in the early rounds so you don't screw your draft with the first top three, four-round picks. We're all picking from ballers. Don't get risky. Go upside later. There's just no point to risk a third, even a fourth-round pick on a guy that it wouldn't be shocking if he's not even on the team in a month. So does that make zero running back in a standard 12-team league in the current NFL? I mean, does that just mean you are – you're going either completely zero running back in, in the sense of you're not taking guys until later, rounds five, six, or you're taking guys, you're not going zero running back at all. I mean, is that the approach you have to take given the current I think the zero, running back position? I think the zero RB strategy is fine in big GPP-style tournaments with a 1,000 people and you're trying to be contrarian, you're trying to find a different way out. But if you're at 10 or 12 of your buddies back home, I just don't think it's a good strategy in 2020. Bell cow backs are more important than ever. 
robust RB, get them all, you know, modified zero RB, this or that. Like, just don't pass on this stud 12, 15 running backs. Let me, t- let me take this then to that question because I've also wrote in here that for the reasons why I like the Elliott Camara and where they, I mean, I like Elliott Camara in some cases over Saquon Bart. I mean, is that like if you're picking amongst those three after the initial pick, which is McCaffrey, I mean, is there a case for Barkley other than they're going to be behind a lot and they're going to throw him the ball? It's the, the target separator is what has been for uh, Barkley and McCaffrey. I mean, especially in 2018 when Saquon, I think, had like 121 targets himself. I don't know if we'll get that with Jason Garrett there. I mean, it would not be the craziest thing Garrett's done to give Deion Lewis too many reps over Saquon Barkley. And no, Zeke, I think his target ceiling is going a little bit under the radar. We saw him in 2018 without Witten there. They really made him their underneath guy. But, you know, at that point, you're happy with any of Zeke, Kamara, Saquon on your team. Like, that's where – don't take Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams there. As good as they are, I mean, you're just, again, like once you get to the third round, you're picking between running backs like 20 through 25 while wide receivers 6 through 12 are still on the board. Yeah, I mean, you get Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys win total 9.5 overs already like 160, 170. That's probably going to be a pretty good team. Also, you know, McCarthy, I mean, he was a guy who made Eddie Lacy a 10 yards per catch guy, <laughs> you know, as, as late as 2014, 2015. Like I, we, we, we remarked about this when we talked about Dallas earlier, like they just didn't throw the ball to Zeke last year. And it was it, or in advantageous situations. Mm-hmm. I think McCarthy changes that a little bit, you know, and changes the calculus. I, I, I've always, you know, in, in any so time you're not got, worried about Tony Pollard. No, okay. I mean, I, I know Chris got the two mixed up, but I, I won't get the two mixed up. <laughs> that was one of the uh, chief wins for running backs are replaceable. when when Chris was watching, he was doing um, film study. And he, I mean, he does the most in-depth film study of anyone out there prepping for the game. He goes through all the plays. He's commenting on them. And it was, I think you actually tweeted out recently the Tony Pollard play where he just is against Miami. Was the Eagles one where he went like Maybe one way and the other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just totally takes the guy's life. And he's like, look at Zeke, man. He's just, and I'm like, that's Tony Pollard. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, it was a win. Um, here's the, I want to bring up two more quickly because I think, Evan, you're a Carson Wentz fan. Is that, am I correct there? We here are the Sorry. Matthew Stafford fan club. And Eric hey, is... So am I. Okay, so if you had to pick between those two guys in fantasy, and it looks like ADP separated by about 10, um, Eric's making the claim that you would take Stafford over Wentz and Matt Ryan. Your thoughts? I have Carson Wentz as quarterback 9 and Matthew Stafford as quarterback 10. So... That range, I mean, quarterbacks tend to be relatively interchangeable. I mean, if, you know, one guy is going to outscore the other, it's probably going to be like 1.2 points per game at most. You know, it's quarterback score. Like, if you look at weekly scoring among quarterbacks, I mean, it's so tightly bunched. It might be a two-point difference between the quarterback eight on the week and the quarterback 17 on the week. Um, Carson Wentz has working in his favor. He's a little bit more mobile than Matthew Stafford. They both have injury concerns. Um, I'm a believer in both of the offenses uh, as, as groups. Um, and then I would lean towards Stafford as having a little bit better supporting cast. So, again, I, I think it's a relative coin flip, and that's why I have them ranked right next to each other. I always get worried about Philadelphia because we 2017 was such an interesting case in that Wentz was brilliant on third and long. And we we got this – we, we got this high from them because they went for so many fourth downs. They went for fourth downs against the Bears when they were ahead. They went for fourth downs against New England when they were behind. They, they went for a ton of fourth downs, and we got this impression from the Eagles that they were sharp, like they, they were ahead of the curve. And I think in many ways they are. But if you look at like their early down play scripts, they run the ball a lot on early downs. And that was like what we got enticed into was, was Carson Wentz having to convert all these third and longs, and he did. I worry that they have, you know, they're, they continue, like the last two years, they sort of see, okay, we got to protect Carson. Like, do they do, do they continue to lean into this approach where they put him in a lot of disadvantageous third downs? And from a fantasy perspective, that becomes limiting because they don't have as many possessions as, hmm. you know, other teams would or, or as many like cheap throws that some of these other guys get. 
Like, that's the thing that worries me the most about Wentz. I think he's great. I just wonder sometimes, whereas last season it did look like Daryl Bevel just threw a lot of caution to the wind as far as play action, depth of target. Like, and, you know, you look at the emergence, like, you know, Wentz has Ertz, but, but Stafford has Hawkinson, who I think in year two, you know, could be a really big playmaker for them. So, you know, it, it's just I like all three of those quarterbacks, but I, I picked Wentz out. Or, sorry, I picked Stafford out. I got Wentz 8, Stafford 10, so I'm kind of right there with Evan where I, I think you uh, bring up a good point. To me, the difference between these Eagles teams, look at 2017. They had, you know, Torrey Smith out there stretching the field and even a rookie year, Matt Collins, who wasn't bad. And Wentz plays like an MVP candidate. 2018 comes along. Mike Wallace, IR by week one. Yeah. That was a Smith replacement. Hollins, IR as well. Wentz struggles. You know, they're as great as Ertz and Goddard and all these guys are. It's tough when you have absolutely no one to stretch the field. 2019, one game with Deshaun Jackson. The dude goes absolutely off and he mm-hmm. gets hurt and there was just never any speed once was the qb 10 last season in fantasy despite throwing a nelson Aguilar, or greg ward you know joshua perkins down the stretch now what did the eagles do we got jalen rager john hightower quez Watkins, healthy djax there's finally speed again i mean i thought even the marquise goodwin signing was yeah. really sharp until you know, he opted out so mm-hmm. that didn't work but i think finally those easy throws that you mentioned haven't been there could be there because they got some speed on the field we finally got a fast offense in philadelphia yeah, that's that's a really I, I yeah, I, I like that it does seem like they have an approach on offense and it's just been felled by noise, which injuries to Jackson and, and uh you know Wallace and, and those players. So Jalen Rager was that was one of my low key favorite picks of the entire the entire draft process. I just thought it was like you couldn't have matched a a player that was valuable and needed maybe better than yeah, yeah. Than what the Eagles the, got. The, the interesting thing with Rager is it's a it's a huge projection because a lot of his production was left on the field by other people at yeah. TCU, and so you have to sort of look at the counterfactual and say he would have been productive had they had a, a you know a, ca- a quarterback of the caliber of any of these other receivers, which is a little bit of a projection. That's what you always say about your college career too. Same, yeah, thirteen <laughs> turned catches out, yeah. turned out. All right, last one, real quick. I have to talk about um, our guy. Terry McLaurin um, of the Washington football team who I, you know, and you talk about him relative to Cooper cup. I feel like they're in different leagues as football players, just like take fantasy out of it. Right. And I think people like cup because he, you know, had a couple productive years, you know, he's a white slot guy. Everyone loves white slot guys. It's just like a fact. (laughs) But t- if I'm just looking at these two guys as football players, to me, Terry McLaurin is a guy who can be going into next year like top 10. And I just don't see that for Cooper Cup in any universe. Yeah, and it's more crowded. McLaurin is the undisputed number one <laughs> yes. guy in Washington. I have McLaurin, wide receiver 16, Cup all the way down at 25. Cup, for some reason, is getting like this pass on having pretty much Devontae Parker's exact splits from last. I mean, Cup was the wide receiver two mm-hmm. before their bye, and he was the wide receiver 21 in weeks 10 through 17. I mean, inverse Devontae Parker, and we're dinging Parker for it, and we're not dinging Cup for it. And I don't mm-hmm. know why, because I'm with you. I'm not convinced Cup is this alpha, you know, elite wide receiver one i mean i had a you know yahoo sports matt Harmon, super, reception perception you know one of the smarter guys in the industry with it cup has never finished above the 12th percentile on success rate versus man or press coverage i mean if there's been anyone that's benefited from mcveigh just being a genius yes. in manufacturing touches i think it's cooper cup and you know as great as the rams offense was in 2017 2018 they were still 12th in scoring last year i mean it just seems like a system to me that is not going to be as productive as they were in past years and i mean definitely mclaurin over him and i got robert woods over cup as well by a decent amount yeah Evan you're you're a guy who I think is pretty sharp with respect to coaching Washington is sort of it's not necessarily a positive case because I'm not sure about Scott Turner I'm not sure about you know the, the offensive but it is a losing a negative case isn't it because in Washington you know we do play caller rankings and things like that and Jay Gruden was one of the worst in football for the last two years. Just simply like getting back to average. That, there. That'll, that'll bode real well for Leonard Fournette. <laughs> Actually, it'll generate touches for him, much like it did for Adrian Peterson. But a, a, a lot, a lot of uh, two-yard runs between the guards. Look, I'm in a points per carry league, so that's perfect. <laughs> uh, oh, no, that, that makes it's sense. not the yards; it's the attempts, yeah, it's, guys. It's, Please, I, I'm in the I, I'm I'm in what's called the football guys football. <laughs> 
you know, fantasy football league, <laughs> and they give me points for carries. And it's a, a after twenty carries, I get like ten additional points. You joke. There actually are leagues with it's these actually, bonkers. Things. It's actually uh, if you have a running back at over twenty attempts. It's a you, big win bonus, yeah. you win the league. You win the league automatically. <laughs> Rushing attempts equal passing touchdowns. So, like, what do you think about Washington from that perspective? From like the changing of the guard from Jay Gruden to literally anybody else? Um, I'm optimistic about Scott Turner. I've heard uh, really good things about him. Actually, uh, he is very interested in analytics. Um, I think he, they, the Panthers did a really good job in 2018 of scheming their offense uh, to create a more efficient passing offense uh, with Cam Newton, and then you know the wheels fell off mm-hmm. late in the year. And I think that they did about as well as they could have with Kyle Allen last year. Um, I, with Terry McLaurin, though, my con- – what I really focus on is less on the coaching and just more on the fact that there is so little target competition in Washington that we're talking about Steven Sims and Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin has a chance at like 150 targets. He played in college. I'm, I'm a big believer in quarterback, pass catcher, established reports. Um, and he played in college with uh, Dwayne Haskins. And Terry McLaurin is just a straight-up baller. So at Establish the Run, we are way higher than ADP on Terry McLaurin, and we're going to keep it that way because we want our audience to have Terry McLaurin on their fantasy rosters. And, again, you know, just going back to the target competition within the offense, and I don't – you know, I think that it's probably going to be like a bottom eight offense probably, um, but – Terry McLaurin is a guy to absolutely bet on, I think, this year. I think he has a chance to compete to be a top five, top ten guy in terms of targets across the league. We liked the, and it's still available at Caesars if you want to go get it, we like the Terry McLaurin over 999.5. And another thing, Eric, that you, and I really like that you guys have been pushing this because it's factual, is that Dwayne Haskins was better as a rookie than people think. The odds were stacked against him, first of all. But the way that he sort of uh, improved incrementally and then over the final month, over his final four starts, he played at a pretty high level. He was good. Um, after the, yeah, after the he, bye, he, he, he has to limit the un, you know, uncatch, or catchable inaccurate was one of the high things. Yeah. But he was a lot better, and they did not give him a chance early. Thank you. That's the point. He comes in at half, like mid-game against the Giants. It was, it was a joke. Like, I, mid-game I, I, at the Vikings. Oh, here's your first start. They started Colt Go McCoy over him the moment Colt McCoy was healthy. And it's like they would have started Alex Smith over him had Alex Smith miraculously come back I, too. It's, I legitimately – there are a few times where you feel bad for someone on yeah. TV. And I legitimately That remember, Thursday night game against Minnesota, he just had no I, I felt chance. terrible for him. But after the – Tevin's point, after the bye, he was a top-10 graded quarterback. He and McLaurin, 120 passer rating, uh, and and he limited he limited the big mistakes pretty well. I think your point is like the pinpoint accuracy was not was not there kind of overall. Yeah. But if you have a Brandon Lloyd like player like Terry McLaurin, <laughs> it's not that big of a so, deal. So their win total is still five and a half. It, well, five is minus one twenty if you go some places, which I wow. You want to show me those places? <laughs> I kind of seeing it at five and a half uh, minus one fifteen both sides on Bet Online. This yeah, is going to be a decent case study on defense. I think in Washington to see how far can you get having absolute monsters across the defensive line and no, no, one, to no cover. one to cover. Although, although in the secondary, yes, on the outside it's a disaster, but on the inside of the defense, Kendall Fuller's a pretty good player. Yeah. You had some injuries, but he was good the last time he was in Washington. He was decent in one year in Kansas City. And then Landon Collins is not a scrub. They'll be okay on the inside, but you're right. I mean, it's it's really going to be a we need to get pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, to me, if I look at them, if you can look at a prop for Washington having more wins than the Giants, I feel like that prop at even money or better is about as good as it gets because the Giants have a much tougher schedule. I think their quarterback is overrated compared to Haskins. And I think there's a pretty good chance that the coaching staff, even if Rivera is a little slowed by this cancer and hopefully he gets better, I, I like Washington in that division to finish third or better um, much more than I like the Giants. I would also say I think it's, an, it's a disgrace that the Carolina Panthers and the Washington Redskins have the same win total. 
You like the Panthers more? No, no, no. I think the Panthers suck. Oh, okay. Uh, Bridgewater has long been a disagreement like, by me and George. So, like, I, and I, I'm, I think we should go around the horn and talk about teams that we like more than, than the market here. Because I feel – I can't believe the Panthers are five and a half. I think the Panthers – So are, are you on be, bet line right now? Yeah. I think the Panthers are going to be the worst team in the NFL. Like, I, Gardner Minshew, to me, is the type of quarterback that I, I want to back. I think he gets the Jaguars going a little bit. You're – they had a bunch of first-round picks. Like some of those guys, those freak athletes are going to come in and they're going to ball out. Um, meanwhile, the Panthers drafted a run-stuffing defensive tackle in the first round. Teddy Bridgewater was pumped up by having an offensive wizard in Evans' friend Sean Payton, and weapons galore, and a wonderful home field, and a defense that played out of its mind while he dinked and dunked his way to a five and zero record. Um, I mean, their defense is horrible, and their offense isn't going to be that good. Here's the thing. I think Jacksonville has a wider range of outcomes. We have them with an 11% chance of having the first overall pick. We have Carolina second at 7.6. So there's a big gap there. But I do think because of the types of players that Jacksonville brought in, LaVisca Chenault is a high-ceiling, low-floor guy. Uh, also going to steal carries from Leonard Fournette. <laughs> Stop. Um, C.J. Henderson's a high ceiling. Can't wait for those wildcat uh, touchdowns at the goal line from Lavisca Chanel. When you draft all the <laughs> when you draft all defensive players, that immediately lo- increases your floor, but decreases your ceiling. When you have Teddy Bridgewater's quarterback, that increases your floor, but substantially limits your ceiling. That I, I think the Panthers. Like are going to win five it's, games based based on that construction of the house. I can't fit into the house right, right, that right. Teddy Bridgewater. Well, especially builds. after the stakes we had last night, I, I, I don't know if I'll be able to fit in. <laughs> Who are some teams though? Let's talk about some teams that um, we like more in the market. Looking at the win total right now, the Houston Texans at seven point five uh, pop out to me. I just don't. When Deshaun Watson is your quarterback, who I think is a with or without DeAndre Hopkins, he's a top five quarterback in real life and fantasy. You know, projecting them for under eight wins, third in this division, in a division where I think, you know, if we look at the AFC playoff teams and say who could take a step back because, there's you know, we're always going to have playoff teams not make the playoffs the next year. Tennessee Titans kind of seem to be a popular one. Things are not going to go as well for them. We have the Jaguars, who I think we've talked about enough. And the Colts, man, I feel like one of the Colts or Buccaneers, like it's going to work out, but one of those teams is probably going to dud. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, call me skeptical that Phillip Rivers is going to go. I know it's the best offensive line of his career, but, man, you know, we track those turnover-worthy plays uh, every single year at PFF and like <laughs> he's one of like five or six quarterbacks in these last three years to rack up over 30 turnover worthy plays and you know they're coming out in training camp saying he's not throwing downfield and that's great and all but it's just Deshaun Watson is so much better than any other quarterback in this division and to put them third and under 500 like I'm not gonna sit here and stand for you know a Bill O'Brien or anything like that and the defense as always is one injury away from J.J. Watt from being painfully mediocre again but I'm not betting against Deshaun Watson. Their their playoff odds, which I, I sort of like the playoff odds more. We got it at plus one forty four somewhere. It's plus one fifty on bet online. Seventeen playoff, I think, in the AFC when the when the, seven quarterbacks are going to the playoffs. I, yeah, the, I have a really AFC hard time saying Watson's, Watson's not, not one, one of them. them. Here's the only tricky thing for me: at Chiefs, home to Baltimore; at Steelers, home to Vikings. First four weeks, not that, great. That's not a great start, but they do play Jacksonville. Again, it gets easier for them, but I, I will say that's that's the tricky. So you're part saying you're going to bet them live? I, I, they there might be some really good betting up, much like 2018 mm-hmm. where they started 0 and three. There might be a lot of good betting opportunities for them against the spread in week five and later. To me, I'm going to trade the the win total. We do like it has moved up seven and a half over was even money. Now it's minus one fifteen. If you're if you're more into the variance, I think the playoff. Earth one is is maybe better but the one thing that i'll say about so deshaun watson loses deandre hopkins and deandre hopkins is fantastic but now he has three guys who are ostensibly all going to be capable of stretching the field and one of the things that he has consistently done well which i you know is an unstable metric but he, he launches the deep ball down there with reckless abandon he's willing to do it he's been good at it it's not like he's josh allen out here airmailing guys by 25 feet when he throws whoa, the ball downfield <laughs> so you know there's something to the whole okay yeah you're losing deandre hopkins but you're giving deshaun watson the you're saying look this is what we're gonna do we're gonna attack go get it 
And if there's one guy that I feel confident in after Patrick Mahomes being able to go do that, it is Deshaun Watson. So I like that. Evan, which team do you like more than uh, the market? Oh, God. Sarah Eager. I'll let you guess. Besides Buffalo. This is a perfect transition. This is a perfect transition. Like we all know. And like the elephant in the room. You guys have been delaying it. (laughs) Just get into it. Just spend it. Because I wrote an article the other day about Sean McDermott and how he deserved his contract extension. Like there's a lot to like about Buffalo, but please get The failed hatred, by the way, in Josh (laughs) – hatred is the wrong word. (laughs) The – the praise for Sean McDermott overcoming <laughs> Josh Allen in that article was. Look, they built an offense. Was it for just him, for Evan? They built an offense for him to fail less. I think was I, my exact I, phrase. Because uh, you know, I, I posted in our little um, <clears throat> uh, DM thread where I just get hammered by Hermsmeyer and Ian, <laughs> you know, George and, and Moo and Kevin Cole all the time about, uh, for my uh, Josh Allen love. I posted that. You know, they're, they're, it's like 20 to 1 for Sean McDermott to win coach of the year, which, I mean, that's like a pretty legit bet. And I was like, hey, this is your guys out, you know, on the on the Josh Allen uh, mm-hmm. thing. This is the way that you guys hedge. And, you know, no one jumped on him. Moo said, um, what did Moo say? He was like, said it, if, he, if they were to win a division despite Josh Allen, he'd be more deserving than most. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the Bills at 8.5 with a super soft schedule with – extreme continuity throughout the coaching staff uh, in, in, in terms of both uh, defensive and offensive personnel um, with pulling out Duke Williams, Robert Foster, Isaiah McKenzie, and inserting freaking Stefan Diggs. Ian, back me up on this. Is there a more analytical way to, to roster construct than being like, hey, we had the worst deep ball passer in the league last year. Let's go get the best deep ball receiver in the league and put them on our team. And that's what they did. So I think that you guys at PFF should ha- show a little bit more respect for the way that the Bills are building their team because they're building it analytically. So that, that, That's the definition of analytics. That's what we've said, though. Like, my thing, it, there's two different discussions here. The discussion is, if would you, out of your own free will, draft Josh Allen? And I think the answer is No. The second question, which is, is again, it's sort of like the same thing with Lamar Jackson. Would you take Lamar Jackson? Yes, of course you would now. But back in the day, when that was a question, the answer is maybe not over a more traditional passer. But if I had him, this is how I'd build my offense. If I had Josh Allen and I knew that he struggled in certain things, this is absolutely how I would do it. Because if you Thank watch you. 2017 you. Stephon Diggs, with Case Keenum at quarterback, I don't know how many like corner routes he's wide the fuck open, and Case Keenum can hit him. And I yeah, think that's, one particular corner route comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and Cole Beasley provides something in that short passing game. I think Dawson Knox is a decent tight end, and I think the running backs. I mean, Zach Moss is a very good addition for them, and they do a decent job on the O line. Cody Ford is like really their only whiff there, and they don't really have to play him this year. So. Uh, you know, like I said, it, conditional on having Josh Allen, they've done a great job. Let's go back to what made Josh Allen this big joke to begin with. Now it's his rookie 2017 season. And I'm going to read the uh, top Bills receivers from that squad and targets. Mm-hmm. We had uh, LaShawn McCoy, Charles Clay, Zay Jones, Deontay Thompson, Jordan Matthews, Nick O'Leary, Kelvin Benjamin, Andre Holmes. What happens in 2018? Not only do they just throw a ton of resources at the offensive line free agency to fix that garbage unit as well that did perform well afterwards you got Smokey Brown you got Cole Beasley what happened with Josh Allen plus six percentage of completion rate plus 1.2 in touchdown rate minus 1.8 interception rate plus 1.3 additional adjusted go off, per King, go off and what's the problem still yeah one of the leagues if not the worst deep ball passer yet the guy continues to attempt to do it and we just added the single best receiver last year in receiving yards on deep passes. So, you know, say what you will about Josh Allen. The guy runs around like, you know, he's a chicken with his head cut off sometimes. He's throwing the ball downfield in double coverage. He makes the defense guard every square inch of that field for better or for worse. And now we have anyone's idea <laughs> Could it of an alpha wide receiver. So, look, the guy took that huge step forward last year when they improved the squad. They've improved it again. And, you know, if you look at the overall teams in the AFC, you know, the Steelers and Bills just stick out to me as maybe the most complete teams if everything stays their way. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little bit, uh, you know, 
unorthodox the way he gets it done, but I think we have plenty of reason to believe that the best of Josh Allen is still to come. So let me ask you this. You said he improved last year, but I could I would make the argument that if you added all those pieces, he shouldn't be his, – his PFF grade was basically the same. He still was the most inaccurate quarterback in the NFL. I, I, last I checked, John Brown's whole thing is yeah. getting open deep. My worry would be, yeah, you see – you want to see improvement – and the improvement in completion percentage was basically throwing shorter passes. It wasn't necessarily, oh, he's actually getting more accurate. And the big question that I have, which I think is going to be really interesting, is why they play the fucking games, is, to your point, Evan, does getting a guy who's going to be wide open 25 yards downfield help a guy who can't throw it in the ocean? Like, you know, Because right, there's the issue yeah. of drafting. It, it, like, it does. It does it? The question, yes, it comes back because to you. You, you, have, you have to think. Is of this what you learn at your boxing classes? John Brown, who ran 4-3-4 coming out of Pittsburgh State. Stephon Diggs, who actually didn't run that fast coming out of Maryland, but we know that he is an incredible deep ball receiver. Great route runner. Think of them as Frisbee catchers. Oh. And these are guys who are going to pull in inaccurate passes. Now the ball's got to be in bounds for it to count. And, and elevate the efficiency of their quarterback. That's yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah, I, also, I, I want to read you off the schedule for the Bills until their week 11 bye. Please. Because you guys are going to be shaking in your boots for 10 weeks. This is going to be a brutal year for you guys. I'm wearing, for, sand, for the, I'm wearing sandals. For the Josh up. Allen deniers. This is going to be a brutal year for you guys. Let's go. Week one at home against the Jets. <laughs> Just Look, lost they, they were Rosalie negative point difference against the Jets last year. And week Josh two Allen against like the Dolphins. Smash. Week three against the Rams at home in Buffalo. The Rams lost Wade Phillips, a difference-making defensive coordinator, a ton of talent, Corey Littleton, Dante Fowler. You know, the list goes on. Roby Coleman. uh, Or week four, the freaking Raiders. Week six. You think Josh Allen's going to survive Vegas? There's no way. We we won't be playing uh, Josh Allen in in week six, finally. You know, we will pause it. Then they play the Chiefs in a shootout. Then they get the Jets again. They get the Patriots. That's a little imposing. Seahawks defense is not imposing. And then the Cardinals. And, I mean, this is going to be a rough 10 weeks. Sorry? I'm, I've been saying my prayers for you guys every I, night. That looks Look, like I don't know what you guys are talking about. The, Se- the Seahawks are going to acquire Earl Thomas. That's going to be the best big nickel in the history of the league. The Cardinals just got Buda Baker, the biggest contract among safeties. They got Isaiah Simmons in the middle of the field. Those guys are rangy enough to knock down even Josh Allen's passes. I agree, though, that it, it's, a, it's a two-pronged discussion, and it's going to be really fascinating if the Bills are smart enough to deal with this because I do agree if you add up all the talent, they should be good regardless of whether Allen is good. Like, mm-hmm. fundamentally, if he can't throw the ball in the ocean, I still think they'll move the ball, and they'll be fine, and they'll win some of these games, you know, that you're talking it, about. Especially because you think West AFC East, though. I still, I, I still think it's New England. Yeah. Well, so yeah. my point was going to be, and Evan, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Cam Newton is a better quarterback than Josh Allen. Yes. Bill Belichick is still Bill Belichick. Patriots are still the Patriots. Yep. You think the Bills are going to win the division? I think it's close. Um, I'm a huge, you know, pro Patriots guy, um, and that has paid off handsomely for many, many years. Um, I can tell. But I think that I think I would give the Bills a small edge this year. But I but I think that. If you look at the the rest of the division with the Jets and the Dolphins, like both of these teams, the Bills and the Patriots are going to win a ton of games. Mm-hmm. So, and they both have soft schedules uh, outside of the division as well. So, um, I, I I like them both. I actually like the over the the over under on the Patriots at DraftKings Sportsbook is eight and a half. So, I would actually be over. On the Patriots, and I would also, and the Bills are also eight and a half. I would bet the over on both of those. I saw nine and a half somewhere. Yeah, at at Bet Online, it's eight, it's nine. Under is plus one hundred for the Bills. Over is minus one thirty. So maybe in that particular hmm. spot, it's been bet up. Um, what what I think is interesting about both these guys, it, and looking at the league as a whole, which I think is fascinating, is how many guys that are now widely accepted to be the 
the top of the top in terms of quarterbacks. Their athleticism and their ability to create with their legs, whether it's to pass or to run, is like a huge part of their game. I mean, even for Patrick Mahomes, you know, it certainly is a huge part of his game. Um, and both these guys, Cam Newton, you know, obviously there's questions about his health and whatever, but both these guys provide a ton of value on the ground. And as f- in the fantasy space and in the analytics space, we extol the virtue of running with a quarterback, particularly on designed runs. Look at Lamar Jackson, what the Ravens were able to do. And in terms of acquiring fantasy points, rushing guards matter. But there's always, it always seems to be like there's this kind of three-pronged, you know, how do you look at the NFL? Are you a fantasy guy? Are you a nerd? Or are you a football guy purist who, you know, watches the, the film? And I personally believe that all three of you are all three of those guys in one. Do we think we're making progress in terms of bringing everyone into the same space and analyzing football just more intelligently overall? I think, I mean, I think so. I mean, I'm pretty naive on some of the fantasy stuff, but I, I think I, you know, you guys did a good job of sort of telling me maybe why I'm off a little bit on, on some of those things. And I, I personally think that anybody that's going to be a good fantasy analyst is a good football analyst to begin with. There's only, you can't really have blind spots in understanding the game of football without, and, and then be a good fantasy analyst, at least not, not somebody who's like, I mean, the algorithmic stuff is sort of like, you know, it's, it's gone now, right? Like you have to kind of know the game even among that because the markets are so sharp now. Um, so I, I think it has to take a blend of those things. Yeah, I think the idea you can be an analytics guy versus a tape guy, like it's just laziness. You're To have all that information at your disposal and to choose to ignore it, like in any other field, we just call that idiotic. And I think it's the same thing uh, with football. Look, all the analytics are trying to do is quantify what we see on tape in the first place. When you see an analytic that doesn't do that, guess what? It's a bad analytic, and you're not going to be able to know that if you don't know what's going on with the film, knowing going on with the game. I mean, it's it, it, it all goes together. It's all information, and the fact that any would ignore it I mean I, I don't if you don't know fantasy football as much that's more like you're just you know you're not paying as much attention to that thing but to me like the analytics versus film debate should be over because you need to know both yeah. of them in order to be a good analyst I, and I, I think it generally is over I still think though that there is a misnomer that like the grades and all that that PFF puts out that like people don't understand like that's derived from the tape I mean, that, right. that, that, right. And people yeah. like it, some people don't get that. And that's strange to me. It, it just speaks to the fact that maybe they don't under, they're not looking deep enough into where these numbers actually come from. They're all derived from the tape. And so, I mean, no one watches more tape than, than PFF. And I also think that PFF and, you know, analytics, uh, you know, websites, they, they almost go hand in hand with uh, fantasy football analysis. Mm-hmm. And that's why we get along so well, even though we, you know, argue over guys. <laughs> well, I mean, we, I have to, I have to say this. I definitely, and I, I like to talk about my biases and not hide them. There's no, like Josh Allen has been a really good fantasy quarterback. Mm-hmm. Okay. During his rookie year in 2018, over the final six weeks of that season, he was the number one overall fantasy quarterback last year. He was the number six overall fantasy yeah. quarterback. I'm a fantasy analyst. That's going to, you know, create some level of bias in the way that You're I have warm fuzzies about the guy. Yes. And yeah. especially because I rostered the shit out of him. FS <laughs> and he's like literally made me money, you know? Um, but I also do think that I can step outside of that and be like, there are glaring weaknesses that Josh Allen has. But again, I think the Bills have done a good job of realizing his weaknesses, realizing his strengths, and catered their roster building to that. And, and you're making a bet, which I which I don't hate, that the the world that we're currently in, which is fantasy gambling and you know regular football, that narratives come from fantasy football and change the complexion mm-hmm. of the MVP race, right? Like when you bet a guy to win the MVP at 100 to 1, even though I think I disagree, I don't think he has those good of, that good of odds. What you're saying is if the Bills are really good at real football and Josh Allen continues to win people money at fantasy football, 
that things are going to bubble up and people are going to talk. And, I, and that does influence things. I mean, you look at 2018, Drew Brees was the MVP of the league for the whole season. I mean, you, he was minus you know money basically all the way until week 12 or 13. Yeah, until he shit the bed against the Cowboys. Until he shit on national television. Yep. And Patrick Mahomes on national television wasn't even winning games. The Chiefs finished that season like five and three or four and three, but he was out there against Seattle. They lost, and he was out there just making the most impressive plays. That game was when, awesome. When people see Josh oh, Allen, dude, I listened to that on the radio actually, yeah. and I had money on the over. <laughs> so did we, <laughs> dude. That was I was going fucking nuts in my car. So how how Pete Carroll Ray managed to, to hit the over? It was like fifty five in that game. How Pete Carroll managed to hit the over while running the football on first and second down the entire time was yeah. was something uh, a stroke of it's how bad the Chiefs defense was that yeah. year. But when when we see Josh Allen jumping over Anthony Barr, when we see Josh Allen rushing for a number of touchdowns, like we're all you know the the sort of real football efficiency stuff you know kind of the fact that he averages under seven yards per pass attempt kind of goes by the wayside. You could even say that about Todd Gurley. Um, right. a couple years ago like and, and it's a great point because you know we're also you know we're all analysts but we're also in the creating content space and we talk about this all the time which is like fantasy football is what consumers the vast majority of consumers want to consume football for right like yeah. to be better at their managing their team which makes sense because your fucking team like yeah. you're gonna who is be better the, at who it. was the highest scoring fantasy player last year McCaffrey McCaffrey well how who who's the highest you know, scoring fantasy quarterback. Lamar. Lamar, Lamar. by a, con- by a yeah. country mile, really, right? And if you look at PFF war, he he's not the most valuable player. I mean, that offensive line generated a ton of war. Uh, the defense generated a ton of war. They, like, there wasn't a ton on the table for him to gather. Russell Wilson was the M- MVP last season because there was more wins that he had to gobble up because everybody yeah. around him was letting but- him down. And we don't care because why? Because Seattle's not putting up the tons of yards right. and the tons of touchdowns. But, but the point is that people that watch, you know, their sports, you say they watch Sports Center, right? Sports Center would be stupid not to cover things from more of a fantasy and a betting angle. Yeah. They would be. And so it, there's just going to be, you know, the narrative that's out there is going to be focused as, you know, more and more on what people are interested in. And that's fantasy football. Let's and, finish and this with what George likes, what team George likes above the betting market. Because we had. We haven't gotten to you yet. Well, I said a couple. I, so I really like the Redskins. Um, you team, the football team. Sorry. You're rooting for the football team. I'm, this is going to be worse, honestly, than San Diego and Los Angeles, which I oh, yeah. still mess well, up. Well, that's only because like the Chargers have the haven't down. been relevant since they moved True. to Los Angeles. Yes. Like, like we haven't had to talk about them because and, – and, and in fairness to the Raiders, no one ever says Oakland. True. You know, it was always the Raiders. And they were the L.A. Raiders for a long time, too. So everybody's used to kind yes. of being like, that. you know. So I'm actually way lower on the Redskins. But the football team, I'm, I'm very high on the football team. Their colors, by the way. F- Looking good. Flames. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I love Terry McLaurin. I think Dwayne Haskins is underrated. And here's another thing. They were a disaster culturally last year. You know what brings people together? Strong leadership. And you're Adversity. telling me. Adversity. Exactly. You tell me Ron Rivera's illness, and I pray to God he gets healthy, you know, and is able to coach. Those motherfuckers are going to rally around that guy like we've never seen. And also, you're talking about rookies that can actually contribute. Chase Young is going to contribute because <laughs> as a man child, so that would be one. Um, I think maybe the one that I feel best about. But I also like the the Jaguars and the and the Lions, of course. L- little 2012 Colts vibes. Yes, when, uh, Pagano was going through that. Yes. The, uh, the one that I'm going to finish with, I like Rams under eight and a half. I think that's a cinch for the reason that Evan said. When you look at the defense, defense is generally speaking the coordinator is the most important, yeah. and the second most important thing is continuity in the back seven. They lose Weddle, they lose Roby Coleman. Uh, you know, Ramsey's kind of like up and down, and Corey Littleton as a linebacker, like. They'll generate some pressure, but I don't think they'll be able to compete on the back end against an improving Arizona offense, Seattle, mm-hmm. San Francisco. Eight and a half just seems to me. I don't get it. Let I me, don't get let it. Let me ask you this, Evan. Are you in or out, or are you closer to being in or out on Sean McVay? I don't know. I don't know. Um, is, this the year, is this the year, though? This is the year, right? What he gets? I mean, I feel like he got exposed a little bit last year. I mean, I, I would say that he definitely got exposed, and he had to make adjustments late in the season. And 
I don't know if they worked or not. I I don't know. Why did they get rid of Wade Phillips? I don't understand that. They got rid of John Fossil. The the way that they built the roster too, and I think that McVeigh has a big hand in this, is like so top heavy. Mm-hmm. A bunch of scrubs after that. I mean, I'm worried about their roster talent as how, well. How do you have that offensive line and only add a seventh round pick the entire offseason? Like, what are we wasting? That, Cam sure. Akers yeah. and like, Van Jefferson. Nothing even against those guys, but like, look at that offense, yeah. and it's the offensive well, line. Yeah, why? Why did, why did they use their their all their early picks on skill position players when that wasn't even their weakness? And they devoted when so they, to their and, defense and here's, here's and their, the other their thing. offensive line. Here's the other thing about that team is usually we talk about NFL teams not being able to like see past why they succeeded. And like figure out the real, you know, here's where you really need to build a team. But the Rams actually had it like right in their face, right? They had the most continuity among their offensive linemen. And it was huge for them because they would be able to, you know, bootleg out Jared Goff. He'd sit there for four seconds and the deep crosser with Robert Woods or Cooper Cup would be open, right? And he'd hit it. And now they don't have that because they can't pass block anybody. And, and you look at Jared Goff and you go, man, like there's no way... He's making this throw now. He's not adjusting. It's all Sean McVay before the snap. And what worries me is that there hasn't been an adjustment to say, let's get rid of the ball quickly. Like They run a similar offense to what the Niners are doing over there. The difference is Jimmy Garoppolo has one of the quickest time to throws in the NFL. He kind of reminds me, and these, this is kind of the, throw, the go-back machine, but like a Byron Leftwich, Randall Cunningham release too. Huh. Like the, the quick passing game requires a quarterback to have more of like a <laughs> Jeff George type of – yeah. But he's kind of a long release guy. So I understand why they're more like and you know, granted, last season they had some success against the Niners, they had some success against Arizona late. I don't think you can sustain offense when you're the only your only go to is a bootleg pass to the quarterback's best friend in, Ty- in Tyler Higby. Like they have to <laughs> your boy. like on a third down and long, the guy's gotta be able to sit in the shotgun. And protect with five and yeah. hit a pass. And I as much I like I think Robert Woods is one of the best all around wide receivers in football after the top five or six guys. And I, I do like Higby. I think Gerald Everett's got talent and Cup's okay. Cup's like kind of a three. But the quarterback to me is just the in addition to the defense and losing the best special teams coach in the NFL, to me there's just too much for the for the Rams to have success this year. Okay, so are you in or out on McVay? Uh where do you think you'll be after this year? I and you and just said you're going to go sh- under. He showed up in our. Pl- he did not show up in the top bunch in our play caller rankings. I think for the next few years he's going to be considered kind of an average coach. I don't think he's going to lose his job, but I think he's going to be kind of an afterthought for a while. Okay. Real, real quick, what if because there's no fans, Sean McVay just starts yelling yeah. stuff to Goff up until there's one second left in the play clock? Because wow. normally it cuts off at like yeah, 15 yeah. in the yeah. helmet. Technically, he could be yelling, but up they're pumping in fan noise. Okay, they better, they better. That's maybe the <laughs> whole reason. Um, okay, let's uh, let's end on this. We decided last night at dinner that uh, we need to talk about fast food restaurants because um, there are some aficionados here, and so we're gonna do we're gonna do top five. I think we should do top three mm-hmm. because that narrows it down a little bit. Um, let's just go around the horn with our third uh, guest first. Ian, kick us off. My number three is my favorite road trip food. McDonald's, a classic, but I want it. Each and every road trip, I'm having it. And also, real quick, these need to have a drive-thru. Yes. That's a big uh, clarifier. Me? Evan. No, Evan. Evan. God, I love Ian because I agree with him on everything from his umbrella takes to his McDonald's takes. Um, have you ever heard his uh, umbrella take, by the way? No. Biggest sign of weakness you can ever show. Is using an umbrella. Imagine using a perfectly good hand to hold something that might save a couple. Oh, drops don't of take water. my line! Man. <laughs> take my line. Um, I I was gonna say McDonald's, but is Chipotle fast? No, food? we're not doing fast cash. No drive-through. Um, I think Chick Fil A is overrated. Ooh. Burger King can be okay. Um, I mean, what? Do you, I, Just I've go been with really, McDonald's. If McDonald's is your number three, then go All right, but McDonald's. I mean, throw, throw out some other fast food outlets. I, no, I've been, I'll, I'll give you my third here, Yeah, which is, is, is mostly a southern place, but it was in Nebraska announcer. Backyard Burger is my third favorite place. 
Now, the beautiful thing about Eric doing this is he's going to say three places that I've never fucking heard of. So I have yeah, no way to verify if Backyard Burger has a drive-thru or not. But Yo, we does. have to give a shout-out to Popeyes because sometimes Popeyes hits the fucking spot. Do they have a drive-thru? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they okay. do. So yep. is Popeyes your number three? Jesus Christ. Okay, my number three is Sonic. Yuck. Okay, my number two. God damn. You don't like Sonic? It's okay. It's a top three, though. Mm. Central Ohio's own Raising Cane's. Okay, hold on. Some of the best chicken fun. Hold on. You hate my number three. I'll give you what my number four was. Okay. See if you hate that more. Taco Bell. See? Awful. Absolutely awful. Taco Bell's fine. So I've eaten at Sonic one time. It's horrible. It's horrible. I've eaten at Sonic one time. I've eaten at Taco Bell maybe... Maybe five times in the past 10 years. Okay. Taco Bell, that's a, a perfect uh, ratio because Taco Bell is the place that you see every two years. And then you're like, oh, that could be good. And then you eat it and it's awful. And you don't eat it for another two years. Mm. And go back in two more years and you try it again and it's yeah. still awful. I can't remember what it tastes like, to be honest with you. And it's when good. I went to Sonic, I didn't get any of the food. I got. I got a milkshake. So <laughs> Just brutal. So uh, I thought it was good. Okay, number two. Raisin Cane's. Get Ooh. that cane sauce. Get that Texas bread. Yeah. Ooh, and I, I will say, and this is like super fast foodie, but I will go to Raisin Cane's to get the chicken and then go to KFC to get their macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes. Wow. Yeah. That's boring. Go for it, Evan. <laughs> uh, White Castle at 2 a.m. Okay. Cool. It just goes right through you. It's gone by the next day. Let's put it that fuck way. That. Um, I, I was going to pick Canes. I'm going to go with – I think Chick-fil-A is in the same equivalence class, so I'm going to go Chick-fil-A for, th- for two. Okay. I think Chick-fil-A is overrated. I'm with heaven. Um, can I count Wingstop? See, I don't know what Wingstop is. So. Really? It's tasty. Wingstop is good. We all went chicken with two except for Evan. So Wingstop, like not only are the wings good – you know, le- the lemon pepper is obviously fantastic, but I also think the fries are really damn good too. Yeah. So we didn't. We don't have to adjust for. Um, we don't have to adjust for price. True. All right. Uh, number one spot, Ian. Easy steak and shake. The goat. Wow. Ooh, that's a great call. Great call as usual, Ian Harditz. Wow. Great call. Uh, how many times do you think I've eaten at a steak and shake? Zero. I put the over under at two and a half. Zero. Point five. Oh, wow. Yeah. Under. Yeah. Missing out. Go ahead, Evan. <laughs> I'm out of places. I don't know anything. Else. You don't have a number one place? <laughs> I guess yeah, it's White it was Castle. It was, I tried McDonald's. I tried okay, Chipotle. Jesus. I tried uh, White Castle at 2 a.m. Evan's really trying to give off the healthy vibe now. All right, I'm, I've been trying to be healthy, man. Here's, here's, the, here's my thought during the pandemic. I will say this. You, I was going to comment on this after the fact, but I'll just say it on, you know, this will make the air. We won't edit this out. You're looking really good. <laughs> I was not sarcastic. Usually that's very sarcastic. You are looking good. The boxing's been paying off. Five guys is my first one. I've been working out like five days a week, man. That's awesome. solid. Yeah. It's been great. Five Guys is great. It, I wish it was half the price it is, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and weighed half as much. Yeah. Because the issue is when you eat Five Guys, it's, it's, a, it's a day ender. You're, like, you're not getting anything done. I have been to Five Guys. My favorite thing about Five Guys was that they'd like pack it into a bag, yeah. and like within 10 seconds, if you didn't immediately open yeah. it, and it was like you got a nice grease yeah. stain on one half of the bag. Uh, my number one is In and Out, and I, it's the Undisputed Champ. It's really the only one of these top three. That I would uh, actually, you know, like legitimately go to and feel good about it. And that's fine. Yeah, it's good. People that lose their damn mind over it, I think, can take a step back. But it's good. Don't you think? So the people that lose their mind about it, aren't they really just wishing to, that they were a part of like California culture? Isn't that it? Yeah. That's yeah, fine. but people who are part of California culture also lose their mind over it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't have any. You're you're not over projecting here. You and Austin are both like die in the wool. You know, five. You know, uh, in and out people, and you still like go gaga, gaga over it. I don't go gaga over it though. Like, I, okay, if you I were in LA, if I were living in LA, I would go to In and Out once a month. Okay, 
but living see, in see I go to like five guys like once every like six months that's see, like living, the thing I living in Cincinnati though I have not gone to a fast food place You're right well, because Skyline Chili is... Skyline Chili didn't make any of the lists. No, no. It's bullshit. Nor should it. Nor should it. In college, you though... You cannot maintain those quads going to in and out all the time, either. <laughs> Very true. They're right here, baby. First trip to Cincinnati. <laughs> all right. Uh, that was it. Uh, Evan Silva, EstablishTheRun.com. If you are not um, a part of the Establish the Run community, you need to be. Great content. Uh, despite what Evan puts out, you know, the other stuff is good too. Uh, Ian Harditz of PFF, obviously the PFF fantasy stuff, taking a huge step in the right direction thanks to your leadership. It's been fantastic. And then Eric, blossoming young junior fantasy analyst. Look, guys, I, I got to <laughs> contribute a little bit here. I know where the money is. <laughs> got to shake my ass a little bit here. Jesus Christ, we'll end on that. I want to tell you about some of the new podcasts that we've got coming along on PFF. We've got Kevin Cole, who's got the Unexpected Points podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know who his first guest is, and I'm not going to tell you. You have to find out. It's a pretty good one. The PFF College Football podcast with Seth Galina will be starting up this week. And we're also going to have a couple of podcasts in the very near future um, that are going to be a lot of fun that I'm not going to tell you about. But you're going to want to subscribe to those two that I said. Um, and then you also can go ahead and go to pff.com and get the PFF Fantasy Football Draft Kit, which basically has everything you could possibly need to crash, all get all the information for your fantasy draft in in one night, which is what I will need to it's be It's going to take your league by storm. <laughs> I, I've debated whether I should tell the other people in my league who certainly have no clue what's going on right now whether that exists. And I'm thinking I'm going to hoard it to myself. So you can do that for yourself and uh, win your fantasy league. So go to pff.com and uh, check all that stuff out. All right, big thanks to Evan Silva and Ian driving all the way out here. What are your thoughts of Cincinnati so far? I like it. I've always maintained it's a little more Kentucky than Ohio, but it's a little fun uh, downtown area. Anytime you've got multiple professional sports teams, hard to uh, be too bad of a city. Ooh, that's a nice take. We haven't taken them to Gallup Park yet, though. Or Skyline Chili. Uh, I've, I've been to neither, uh, allegedly. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that it's, it's, it's a lot more northern Kentucky than it is Ohio, for sure. Yeah, it's basically Kentucky. All right, um, that is our show. We'll be, actually have another one tomorrow-ish yeah, afternoon. we're recording early tomorrow. Yeah, we're recording yeah. early tomorrow. So we'll have uh, Kevin Cole on that. It'll be a lot of fun. And I uh, hope you guys are staying safe out there. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out. Peace out.